COVID-19 has most certainly impacted the world. It's impacted business as usual in pretty much every sphere and tier of life. It's affected schools and, and, and businesses and, of course, our health. And, and, and while there's some good things that have come out of it, there's most certainly some bad things. Some of the good things, of course, are family time and, and times together and, and some times to rest and reflect if you can. And, and, uh, but some of the bad is if, if you don't have family, maybe you're at home alone and you're you're, you're struggling with that reality or, um, you know, uh, seeing the economy, you can feel like the, the, the economy is getting killed basically and so are people because of that. And what can happen in our hearts is this, this what if question, the kind of driving question behind a lot of fear. What if this happens or, or what if that happens? What if, what if my business goes under or, or what if my health fails or, or what if I lose a loved one in, in, in this place of loss, fear and anxiety can grow and depression can grow. And so um, today with all that's going on in the world, I just want to talk to you about conquering fear and anxiety. Conquering fear and anxiety is what we're going to focus on today. Because listen, if it's not COVID-19, it's something else, right? If it's not COVID-19, Something else is going to come up in our life, a new season, a new thing, uh, and, and we're always going to face this. And these things, these principles that we're going to look at today, I think we're, are going to help you um, through this time. Now, I, I want to uh, tell you a little bit about my own fears. I've had the fear of flying, uh, germophobia-type fears. I had a fear of spiders. Anybody get the fear of spiders? I had that at one point. And the fear of public speaking. Would you imagine looking at me today that I, at one point, was actually afraid to stand in front of a group of people and speak? I would be so afraid that my mouth would go so dry I couldn't talk. I mean, it would just be ridiculous. It would be embarrassing, actually. And then I've had stress to the point, after we launched the church, I had stress to the point. One night, I was standing outside of our, uh, we had another set of offices uh, where we officed before we had our new facility. And I was standing uh, uh outside talking to a couple from our church. And while I was talking to them, I felt this intense pain build up in my chest. And, and, and I could, it felt like my heart was being squeezed and I was just in, an, it, it, it scared me. And I, I began to, my breathing began to get shallow. And I tried to play it cool with them. I was looking at them like, yeah, I'm just fine. But inside I'm like, I'm scared to death. I went home that night. Uh, this is a few years ago. I went home that night I, I, this went on all night. I talk about it. My wife never thinks I'm dying. So whenever I think, oh, I could be dying. She's like, you're not dying. She said, the Lord will let me know when you're dying. Don't worry about it. I'll let you know when you're dying. That's kind of the way Lydia's approached it. So anyway, so I, I, we went to bed that night while I still had this going on. And we had other friends have anxiety attacks and I was pretty sure that's what was happening, but I couldn't trace any particular place or point to the anxiety that I was experiencing. It had been a cumulative thing. Is when I laid down in bed next to her, I, I laid down into a dark room and the room got darker as I felt my vision get tunnel vision. And I thought, I, I thought I basically experienced what it's like to die. I thought, that's probably what it's like right before the lights go out <laughs> and I go to be with Jesus. And maybe you get me, maybe you get fear and you get that kind of panic. And maybe you're facing some of that today right now. You know, the, uh, God has a, an encouraging word to a, a disciple named Timothy. He was being discipled, being trained by the Apostle Paul. And it comes from second, sec, uh, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, fear is called the spirit here. And we've been in a series called Fight. And it's this idea of breaking out of complacency as Pastor Vern so excellently shared last week. If you didn't hear that message, I want to really encourage you to, to listen to it. And I shared in my, my first uh, message when I talked about being in these karate tournaments when I was younger and I would, they would say, go, and I would just freeze. I'd be so afraid to, to, to move because of fear. And so fear can be paralyzing and the Bible calls it here a spirit. And we, this series is about spiritual warfare. Now, some fears are human, some things, but some fears have a spiritual root or origin. And honestly, I think a lot of what's happening today with COVID-19 and, and, and a lot of the media uh, presentation of what's happening can, can open up the door for that spirit to harass us. While there's certainly real threats that we need to consider, uh, I think it could open up a door for that, that to harass us. And so um, fear's an enemy we all relate to, right? But we don't always get or understand how it works or why it works in our life. And uh, have you ever... I want to ask you a question because you really need to think about this because when you think about fears, we all have them, but have you ever put energy into considering how fear works, why it works, and, and how we can win uh, in this thing? And here's why. In the context of spiritual warfare, you cannot conquer what you will not confront. You cannot conquer what you will not confront. And, and by confront, I mean... Uh, I mean, analyze it, and I mean, study it, and I mean, understand it, and then I mean, do something about it. Let's talk about fear. Let's try to understand it for a second. You know, fear, fear is ultimately being triggered by something that feels like a threat. And in my experience, fears, I mostly feel mostly threatened in situations where I feel completely out of control. I don't know how to control what it is I'm facing. And so that heightens the level of, of my experience. And, and, you know, a lot of people you know in your life that have control issues, they have an underlying fear issue, almost certainly. Disease, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, people's acceptance of us. Like, I can't control whether somebody likes me or not. And they all have the, I don't ultimately have control over this situation component to it. It's caused all kinds of things to happen in us mentally and even chemically. You know what was happening to me when I was having that anxiety attack is, is I had let multiple pressures build up. And there's this hormone in your body that accumulates called cortisol. And as cortisol builds up, too much of it becomes toxic to your body. And then your body has all kinds of responses. And, and while we're supposed to have a healthy fight or flight system, when there's no actual real threat, which is what was happening to me in that moment, I was having a great conversation with people I enjoy talking to. But what ended up happening was I began to feel an immense amount of fear and, and I began to feel my heart racing and I'm like, what is going on? And maybe you could relate to that. And I, wanna, I really want to address that. So the question then is, is this, how can we practically conquer fear in our lives? I think the apostle addressed it here. He said, by, God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a, the Holy Spirit who imparts to us power, love, and a sound mind. Now, the context of this passage was Paul actually calling, the, calling Timothy to lead the church uh, 
in Ephesus. And as he was calling him to lead the church in Ephesus, Timothy just had fears. And so he appealed to the faith of his mother and the faith of his grandmother and said, Timothy, this faith is in you also. Stir up the gift that's within you. So today, I want to talk to us how we stir it up. By stir it up, I'm going to use a different word. I'm going to use the word activate. Now, activate's not meant to sound weird, but I'm talking about how do we practically put into operation so we receive the Holy Spirit, how do we put into operation uh, the gifts that God's given us? And right now, specifically, how do we put in operation power, love, and a sound mind? And as I talk about it, I'm going to talk about it out of order. I'm going to talk about a power, a sound mind, because I want to finish on the love of God. But let's, let's dive in here. Now, every time you hear me say activate or activated, you can use the word received. If that's activated, it's messing you up. But we're simply talking about stirring up like the apostle was telling Timothy, stir up the gift of God. So the first power, let's talk about power. Number one, power is activated by where you place your focus. Power is activated by where you place your focus. Where you place your focus will determine what will have power over your life. So when you, whatever you're focusing on, from a mental standpoint, begins to empower that thing to, 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 to strengthen you or, or to discourage you. you know, today, if you turn on the news, it's mostly bad news. And when you listen to it, you start to think about it. When you start to think about it, you begin to apply it to your life. That's what we do. Well, what, what if? The what if question comes up. What if that happens to me? And, and fear can happen because we're doing something the Bible calls us to do. The spirit of fear is trying to hijack meditation. God's called us all to meditate in his word. Check this out. Psalm chapter one, verse one through three. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So there's this, this thinking continually, day and night, He's not trying to say in the daytime and in the nighttime, but rather an ongoing, continual putting the word in. That man shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, we know trees need their roots to go down and be by water in order to, to be nourished and grow. And this is what it says. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he or she or a child or whatever, whatever age, it doesn't matter because the, it isn't about the, the gender or the age. It's about this dynamic of meditating on the word of God. Whatever he does shall prosper. Jeremiah the prophet picked the same idea up in Jeremiah 17 as he said, it's not, it's not just meditating in the word, but this idea of trusting God through meditating in his word. Here's what he says in Jeremiah 17, verse seven through eight. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water. You hear this idea again, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. Listen to this, <clears throat> powerful statement. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Think about that. Now ask yourself your own question as you, as you check your heart. Where has your meditation been? C could you say that you've been meditating in God's word and what he says about things 
what Jesus says about things day and night? Or would your meditation be more like what the news is putting out day and night? What's informing your faith? Is the, is the fearful dynamic of possibly uh, getting a dreaded disease or the shutdown of an economy or the closing of business or the loss of a loved one, is that informing your faith or is the word of God? Is this right here, as you meditate, as you trust God, you will always bear fruit. He will take care of you. I was talking, uh, I had a mentoring appointment with, we have a group mentoring through our, our discipleship ministry called Core Discipleship Intensive. And I had an online mentoring appointment with my group of guys. And there was five of us talking. And one of our guys, Sean Adams, hi, Sean. I know you and Cheryl are out there. We had a discussion yesterday about his real estate business. Now, now it may be in some areas where you're at, real estate's still moving along just fine. People can still buy and sell via digital transactions. And that would be true here also because the title companies are available to close these deals digitally. But unfortunately, in Lebanon County, where we're at, our title search to be able to verify uh, the, the, you know, the, the uh, details of a, of a piece of land or a transaction um, are, are all manual. It's all old school, pull paper out of a file cabinet, you know, probably microfish type stuff. And so, yeah, Lebanon County definitely needs to get in the 21st century, but the impact of that is, is uh, definitive upon guys like Sean and other realtors in our area. Now, he told me, he said he was doing some studies about how to help a business like his in decline, and people are putting out all kinds of stuff to help his industry. But he said the more he thought about it, the more it was putting fear in him. And so he decided he wasn't going to do that. He just began to get in the word, spend time with God. He said, I noticed I have no fear. He's got, we've been praying for him to have 10, 10 uh, deals closed by the end of his training program. And he's got nine sitting on the table roughly right now is what he, I think what he told us yesterday. I hope I had that right. God's still moving, even in the year, what should be a year in a time of drought, these things are just waiting for this thing uh, to recover. And here he has no, honestly, he has no income coming in, and yet he's trusting the Lord in the middle of it. And um, how, how is he doing that? Well, it's because he's no longer meditating on the size of the problem, like we talked about in our first message in this series. He's so he's not meditating on his Goliath, the size of his giant. He's focused on the size of his God against the size of the giant. What's the giant in your life? Are you magnifying the giant? Are you doing what the Psalm says? Come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, when I was having that anxiety attack that night, okay, so when the, when the darkness closed in on my mind, I got up and I went out in the living room because it was a little nerve-wracking, to say the least. My heart is pounding in my chest. I could feel adrenaline coursing through my body. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. And I, I was, um, I, I pulled up online, you know, like, like just how, how do you, how do you, you know, I've never had one of these before. How do you manage an anxiety type situation? Well, of course, they focused people on some breathing things or, or uh, meditation and, you know, there's a thing that's popular in our culture right now called uh, mindfulness meditation. And some of you think, that sounds really new age. Well, it's because I put the word meditation in it. And, you know, if I said, are you mindful of that? You would say, that's okay. I say, if you're meditating in God's word, well, that's okay. But if I say mindful meditation, you go, weird. And it doesn't need to be weird. Here, here's the bottom line. Your mind is full of things you're thinking about. What, what happened to me is I began to sit there in that moment. And I said, okay. I need to not become one with what I'm experiencing. I need to become an observer. I need to step outside of it and so I can get my head squared on 
straight. You know what was happening to me? God was leading me to set my mind in focus so I could experience his power and not the spirit of fear. And so as I began to say, okay, this is rational, you're healthy. I, by the way, some of you are out there wondering, how do you know you weren't having a heart attack? I, I, I didn't for sure, to be truthful. I know that may seem irresponsible. At the end of the day, I did finally get my heart checked out and the guy said, I got like a heart of a 25-year-old. He said, you got like a 1% chance of having a heart attack. You're great, move on. So, so as long as I keep eating healthy, I'm good, right? So, so set, that, set that aside. What, what I needed to do was focus on, I'm not dying. And I began to focus on the one thing I could focus on in that moment. Because again, if a lot of fear comes from feeling out of control, the thing I could control was my breathing. And so I begin to focus on breathing and I focus on that. And I would tell myself in my mind, slow down. I, would, I, I began to realize God's given me authority over my body. He's given me authority. The Bible says he's given us authority over the demons, serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt. So I began to go, breathe. Okay, you're okay. And my heart rate began to slow down and the pain dissipated out of my chest, which was another good sign. I was not having a heart attack. And it was just anxiety. Listen, I want to call you right now. And this first thing, this first uh, step towards power is just focus. Focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. It might just start with your breathing. You can tell yourself to open a Bible. Pastor Vern did a great job last week on this too, calling us to each in this season, draw near to the Lord. You can open up a Bible. You can begin to read the scriptures. You begin to meditate. You can talk to God about what you're facing. You can do that. You can control all that. I want to encourage you to do that. So again, uh, power is activated uh, through where we set our focus. The second thing is a sound mind, in the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, we're going to start with a sound mind. A sound mind is activated by studying the facts and not opinions of any situation. Proverbs 18.13 says, in the New Living Translation, I like the way it words it, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. So, so here's the deal. When, when COVID-19 first came out in the news, my staff will be, I'm guilty as charged. I spat it off before I knew all the facts. And so to me, this is just a little bit worse. It was like a cold on steroids, but less than the flu. Later, all the professionals are coming out saying, no, it's by far worse than the flu. And frankly, I know some of you are gonna think, who are you to say this? But I don't trust it because I trust facts. Because facts show up in things like numbers. And, and so, um, so with COVID-19, there are a lot of opinions. There's a lot of modeling where they're trying to say, we know where this is going if we do X, Y, and Z. And there's a lot of judgments and actions uh, resulting from those. I mean, God forbid you go out and say, I went to Giant yesterday uh, to get some items and everybody, I mean, almost everyone was masked and whatever. And you know, I know our governor's asked everybody to wear a mask. I mean, I didn't have time. I mean, I literally got the order and I didn't have, you know, we didn't have time to make a mask. And I got, I don't know how to use a sewing machine anyway, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I, I saw some tips online. Don't, don't start sending any emails saying, here's a link. We know, we found them. Well, the Nymans will have masks here eventually. But anyway, but, but the point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of judgments and a lot of actions that are coming as a result of something we don't really understand very well. But I want to give you some statistics, and I want to show you what I do to myself. This is how I inform my mind. When I'm fearful and I begin to focus, my next step, once I begin to focus and get control of my anxiety, is I say, what are the actual facts? Is there, what's the threat level for real for most of us? And whether it's, <clears throat> this doesn't matter. I'm not talking, this, isn't, this most certainly applies to COVID-19, but, but there's, I'm, I'm actually talking about any kind of situation you face, any kind of fear, you can do this kind of research. And I, I went to trusty old Google, 
And I went to uh, Worldometer, worldometer.info is a site you can go to. It has all kinds of stats and all kinds of things. And I began my research. Now, uh, influenza in 2017, the flu, had, had uh, 55,672 deaths in the United States. Now, to put things in perspective, the United States has 331 million people in the United States. We have 331 roughly million people, a little more than that, uh, here in the USA. 55,672 uh, died to influenza in 2017. Why'd you choose 2017? Because I couldn't find 2018's numbers, to be truthful. Um, because sometimes it takes them a while to aggregate all their data and sort through it and put it into a report. This came from the CDC and my other, the, uh, the other one's from the NIH. So these are help, uh, the health organizations that the very same people that are giving us statistics are talking to us from, it's their stats. All right, so uh, car accidents in 2016, 40,231 people uh, died by a car accident in the USA. COVID-19, 311,000 people have had the virus, but listen to this, 8,454 so far have died from it. That's, let me put it this way, that's um, 0.01%, if I could put it that way, one-tenth of a percent of the total population in our country uh, has died from it. But that may not help you, so let me give you some numbers that are a little easier to understand. For COVID-19, it's 2.6 deaths per 100,000 people. 100,000. Because let me say, you're, you're looking at it in the millions right now. A lot of these sites have millions. That's 26 per million. 2.6 per 100,000. A car accident, 12.4 deaths per 100,000. Influenza from 2017, 14.9 deaths per 100,000. So listen, I know there's a lot of opinions, and I'm sure they're smarter than me at a lot of levels, but if I look at the facts, the facts seem very clear uh, that we have, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, it, right now, the flu in our nation is at an epidemic level. It's, it, is, it just declined below it this week, but in the 12th week of March, so the 12th week of the year, which was like March, I don't know, roughly March 15th, flu was at an all-time uh, high, it was at, as a, not at all time, I was at, a, I was at an epidemic proportion. So 7.2% is the threshold of epidemic. It was 8.2% of people died, uh, 8.2% of, of deaths died because of influenza. And all I'm trying to get at is this, because I'm not really trying to, re, to put down the, re, the real threat of COVID-19. What I am trying to do is put it in perspective to all the other things you face every day. Most of you are getting a car and you're not scared at all to get in a car, yet you've got a much higher chance of dying in a car accident according to these stats. And if facts and not opinions and models are determining our action, facts are determining our actions, then we ought to be much more afraid of a car ride than COVID-19. Now, so let me ask you a question. Why are we not afraid of those things? Well, probably two reasons that come to my mind. Familiarity. We all prefer the enemy we know versus the enemy we don't know, right? We don't know where COVID-19 is going, but we know we got flu that's been around for, for as long as we can remember. Most of our, all of our lifetimes, for sure. Or the other possibility is the media is not focusing on it. I mean, the media had been talking right now about an epidemic flu that was in the United States. Honestly, most of you would probably be afraid of that if, you're, if you get honest. Why? Because it goes back to the first point. What we're focused on determines a lot of the way we emotionally feel. 
Coming back to my fears, and let me tell you how I applied this idea of facts to my own fears, spiders, right? So spiders, spiders is a common fear. In fact, uh, when I was a child, I, I kept trying to figure out where did this fear enter my life? When I was a child, there was a moment where I was running in the woods. I was probably uh, eight years old, third grade. I came up on this huge spider, I mean, huge. In my mind, it was this big. It was as big as my head, but it wasn't. It was probably like, you know, this big. But, but when I got up on it, it was like, and it was magnified in my eyes and I was this close to it. And, and probably all that stuff they say happens, neural pathways got triggered and, and, and all kinds of hormones got released and it signaled to my brain, don't ever do that again. And so I just got dreadfully afraid of a spider. I had up to this point never, ever been hurt by a spider. Man, I had lived in Texas and San Antonio where you have to shake your shoes out for scorpions every day to make sure you're not gonna step on a scorpion. And yet I wasn't afraid of those. I don't know why this trigger, but it was there. So Lydia and I moved into a house where we rented. The whole basement was filled with spiders of every kind of size. Like, like it was arachnophobia. It was like a movie. It was like a, like a horror flick. And I called my friend Mark up and I said, Mark, man, I got all these spiders in my basement. What do you do? Like, how do you deal with this? He goes, uh, I cohabitate. That's what he said of himself. I cohabitate with them. I'm like, what? No way. I'm trying to find out. I was setting off bombs, trying to kill these things. They were unkillable. The Bible says spiders are in king's palaces. You're not getting rid of them. You have to learn to cohabitate. So how did I learn to do it? Well, I began to realize I weigh, I don't want to tell you what I weigh, but I weigh more than I should weigh. But let's just say I weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of 185 pounds, maybe 10 pounds more than that. I don't know. And I began to realize a spider weighs probably, you know, one, one millionth of that or one one thousand, hundred thousandth of that. I began to realize I have power over him. He can't hurt me. Any moment I want to end him, I can. That was just basic reasoning. Germophobia. I, I, when there was a time when I was younger, there was two different periods when I was younger in my adulthood, I had a virus, a stomach virus that provoked a vomiting episode where I thought my whole body was gonna split in half. I hope you've never had one of those, but it is a terrible feeling. Your ribs, are, your bones are popping, it just hurts. And, um, and it put this fear in me of, of throwing up, of, of vomiting. And I would, every year when I hear about somebody, Lydia will tell you, or somebody would say, oh man, I had the stung bug, I threw up all night. I'd be like instantly seized with symptoms. I wouldn't throw up, but I'd be like, oh, but I'd get nauseous. I was so, whatever, uh, you know, sympathetic or whatever, sympathetic reaction. I'd be like, oh, and I, I would just hate that. And I would be so scared. And, and I, I began to develop this germophobia. On top of that, I was a, a CNA at one point. And so we, when you're a CNA, you're washing your hands every time you deal with a resident. You come out, you wash for 20 seconds, or well, it's more than 20 seconds. You guys are doing 20 seconds. We had to wash for a minute. Uh, and then we come to the next person. We have our gloves on. We go through And I never got sick during that time. But all the stuff they taught me put all kinds of fears in me. Again, going back to what I would focus on. Here's the, here's the facts, though. The facts are that I rarely ever get sick maybe once a decade. I might get us cold or something every so often, and that's stopped a lot since I've uh, been getting better nutrition. But I touch germs all day, and frankly, so do you. Listen to this. This comes from a, a Harvard. Uh, Catherine J. Wu holds a PhD in microbiology and immunobiology from Harvard University. I hope that's enough credibility for most of you out there. Listen to this. Each liter of seawater on this planet is home to about 100 billion viral particles adding up to about a nonillion. I, don't, I didn't even know what that was. In the U.S., that's just in the, in the U.S., that's one followed by 30 zeros. So a nonillion is one followed by 30 zeros worldwide. So one liter has 100 billion worldwide. You can't even, our brains can't even fathom that number. 
Lined up, listen to this though, this is what's interesting. Lined up end to end, Earth's marine viruses would stretch 10 million light years beyond Earth, bypassing some 50 nearby galaxies and tumbling deep into interstellar space. Why am I telling you this? This is what got me over my fear. I began to realize I touch stuff all day, every day. You go to the grocery store, unless you're gonna keep this rubber glove habit going after this, you pick up a can someone else touched, who knows what, what they've done. I mean, I could, you know, I'm glad people are getting into this toilet paper craze, but I'm not sure everybody was washing their hands good previous to this. You know what I'm saying? And they're touching your can and then you're touching that can. And our bodies are designed to fight. God made us to fight off stuff. And I just, that helped me get over my germophobia. And, and so hopefully that'll help you. Fear of flying. You know, uh, I had a fear of flying that was quite irrational. And I don't know, and I think most people's fear of flying is, listen to this. I mean, I, so, so to help you understand, my fear of flying wasn't casual. It was, if there was a bump in the air, I'm grabbing my seat, turning white, three shades of whatever, and breaking into a cold sweat. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, that kind of fear. And I would make myself do it, but I had this dreadful fear that I was going to die on a plane. And my dad would always tell me stuff like, hey, you know, flying's like a lot safer than driving a car. Well, he's not, he's not wrong. Listen to this. 283 total people died in 2019. Listen to this. Worldwide. You know how many flights go on a year? 50 million flights happen a year. Over 100,000 flights per day and only 283 people died. If you need to go back to our worst history with flying, which was like around 1972, the total number worldwide was like 25, 2,700 people. Worldwide. You, you really, so, so I, began, I began to realize, guess what? I don't have, all the things I just told you about, I have no fear of anymore at all. What happened? I began, to, I began to sound mind. The right way to think about it happens as it's informed by facts, not by opinions and not by feelings. Now, I wanna talk about wisdom for a while. I give you a bunch of facts. Here's what I don't wanna do. I don't wanna downplay the importance. If your governor asks you to wear a mask when you go out, could you just honor, like, what's the big deal? Put a mask on, honor him. Everybody else is doing it. Make yours more stylish. I don't know, get cool with it. But I'm just saying, we can show honor by doing that. And I would say this, Mike Telbin, who's our uh, worship technology director, we had a lot of conversations about this. And, and I, I, like, I like having conversations with Mike because Mike often sees at angles I'm not seeing. And, you know, he said one of the things about like the car analogy, for example. Right now, we know that if you, like you don't go put your, in as much as I wouldn't go hop in a car and go into, if, if I knew that, okay, uh, X amount of people die a year in car accidents. But between this time period, in this place, like, 90% of people die or 80% of people. Oh, there's no way I'm going to go driving in that if I have control over the situation. I'm going to choose not to do that. I'm going to use, that's called wisdom. So there's a difference between when the spirit of wisdom is informing what you're doing versus spirit of fear. Wisdom, it's not wise to put myself in danger. If somebody's coughing, I am not standing in there. I'm, bless God, I'm probably not going to get this. So <clears throat> and let people cough in my face. And neither would it be appropriate for me to do that to them. There's some more facts. Not everyone is at equal risk. 60, 60 plus year olds with compromised health are at the highest risk for serious complications from the COVID-19 virus still. So like we wanna be, we wanna walk in love in that, but I just want you to break the spirit of fear and put this in perspective, okay? And then my third thing I wanna share with you today, and that's this, let's talk about love. Love is activated by genuine faith. Love is activated by genuine faith. See, what do you do when the facts say, so we, let's say we study the facts, whatever it is you're doing. Maybe you feel called to be a doctor. Maybe you feel called to be a fireman or a police officer. 
Um, I know guys that are into the Navy SEALs. They feel called to be the Navy. You should check out the mortality rate of a Navy SEAL before you get too excited about that. I bless God for those guys that feel called to that and, and are willing to put their life, but they've counted the cost. And, and so uh, maybe you feel called to be a missionary and go to a land that's, that's not real friendly or receptive to the gospel, say the Middle East somewhere. And, and so uh, what, what do you do when the facts say you should, in reality, have something to fear? Is that possible? Is it possible that the facts show you that you should be afraid, Right. Like, hey, Jimmy, if you dip your arm into, if you pour sulfuric acid over your arm, there's a good chance your arm's gonna melt, right? right? That's a real fear, that's wisdom. If I'm, a, if I'm an electrician and I have to go work in an electrical transformer, right? It's the spirit of wisdom to understand all the nature and the rules of electricity. So I don't, I get blasted back, knocked out, or worse yet, dead because of what I'm handling, right? So what should you do when you have something to actually fear? And here's where the what if question comes up, right? What if you die? What if you get seriously hurt? But really, let's go with the the big one. What if you die? Listen, most everyone, if I said, are you, I don't know anyone that says, man, I am ready to die today. I mean, you might be really old and hate your body. Maybe those people are there, but the vast majority, I'm talking like 99.99% of people are not, ready to die. Let me give you an important news flash. You will probably, in your mind, never be ready to die. That's just the way most of us are. You're not going to feel ready to die. You know, the Apostle Paul and, and then and another author in Hebrews, but in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews say, make this statement. And I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you for a minute about, because I said that love's activated by genuine faith. I want to talk to you about genuine Christian faith right now. Because somewhere in our journey, all of us maybe have heard the gospel. Maybe most of you, if you happen to dial in online, maybe you're looking for hope today and you're saying, man, I'm just looking for help and I'm looking for an answer. But, but, but maybe most of you are Christians. You came to worship and you've not really processed the genuineness or the authenticity of your faith. In fact, Paul the apostle was so strong on it. At the end of 2 Corinthians, he writes to the people there and says, at the end of that letter, he says to the Corinthian church, test yourself and see whether or not you're actually in the faith. So I'm gonna help you give, you give yourself that personal test and, and what it looks like because genuine faith is really what gives the love that allows you to not be afraid. In fact, the Bible says it this way. In, in, in 1 John, I think it's chapter uh, four, roughly verse 18, I could be wrong, somewhere there, five. Read the whole book of 1 John, you got this, but it says perfect love casts or drives out fear. And anyone who fears has not been made perfect or complete in love yet. So if we've got fear, ultimate fear, like the fear of death, we got to ask the question why. And here's why. In Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, it says this, the just, the righteous, the Christian, as it were, shall live by faith. Let me tell you what else that means by implication. They'll die by faith too. You know, I watched my mother-in-law, Anita Butterfield, she's a member, she was a member of this congregation, when she, she, had, uh, uh, she had problems with her kidneys, which ultimately led to some cancer, which, anyway, long story short, she was going to die. She was given the, we, we, we put her in this uh, facility uh, here at Anvil, a beautiful facility where they took great care of her. But man, we would talk to the residents there who themselves were not ready to die. And once Anita made peace with the fact that she was going to die, the nurses 
the residents, the people said, this is the most amazing lady we've ever known. You know why they felt that way? What does it do to the human heart when someone who knows that they are being faced with the most challenging passage of the unknown that none of us really know for sure? We, we know it by faith, we don't know it by experience. And they talk about Jesus and they talk about love and she asked if she could pray for them. And, and even somebody, somebody was working and stole money from her even and she forgives them. And, and people see that when she tells that story and they oh, but I forgave them. And they're like, who does that? And we would hear these stories over and over again. And when she finally passed away, the nurse that was there with her just talked about just the amazing experience it was to be with her in her last moments. What was Anita imparting? She was imparting hope. We tell you, we want you to know Christ. We want you to discover purpose. We want you to impact lives for eternity. I want to tell you two things about that. First of all, you need to, you need to get real with this. You are going to die. No one's ready to die in the sense that we think are ready. Readiness ultimately happens, like all the people that have already died with COVID-19, the only way they could have been ready is if they knew Jesus Christ and surrendered to his lordship, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again, that he gave himself for us. And there's so many of us in the church, we're not ready to die because we're really not living for him yet. I need to live for Jesus. I watched her. She wasn't perfect. But she's close. And, and, and by close, I mean she loved Jesus. Her faith was in him. She expected him to carry her to eternity. She would talk about the joys of heaven. She couldn't wait to see her mom and dad again. She couldn't wait to see her husband again, however that looks like. And she most of all wondered what heaven's, because she would ask me questions. What do you think the glory, what's it gonna be like? I'm, I said, mom, you tell me. You're, you're gonna get there sooner than I am, it looks like. So and we'd have these kind of discussions and, 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 and just the hope, she brought hope. See, See, part of discovering your purpose is realizing you're not called to live on this side of eternity forever. Not yet. You're called for a moment to live here for a season. And honestly, if you get real with this, death to some extent gives meaning to life. If this went on and on forever here with, with no, nothing to measure whether or not you did anything, in other words, our life is, this, is a measuring time. It's a classroom. It's, a, it's an internship. It's an opportunity for us to do something meaningful, to impact lives. And so in this time, we wanna discover why are we here? Well, being here could be for that neighbor that's across the street and helping them. It could be, I heard about a lady who, who took food to some people in, uh, I don't know, it was like, well, not in Alaska, but it was a place like that where she, she basically, people who were shut in, she, she went across snow on, on, on a dog pulled sled to bring them food. She found a purpose to impact the life. Anita didn't have some big mega ministry. She had her relationship with Jesus and everywhere she was, she made sure that everyone knew who Jesus was and she made sure that she loved them the way Jesus would. She was generous, she was kind, she was forgiving. If you said something stupid, she'd correct you and she'd tell you the truth in Jesus' name and she'd pray for you and then she'd be laughing and smiling again with you in the same breath. That's who she is, that's who she was. Who are you? Do you know Christ? Have you discovered purpose? Have you realized that you're not gonna live forever on this side of eternity? And then have you and are you investing your lives in others to impact their life for eternity? Man, if they, I'll tell you, this time for me has been an amazing heart-searching time. I trust it's been for many of you. I started out like many, praying this would just go away and go away quickly. 
But then later I began to go, you know, if this is here, if we're asking it to go away, I said in a broadcast earlier, Paul the Apostle talked about a thorn, a messenger of Satan that was given to buffet him. And in the Christian world today, they're like, this is the devil. Or, or, or so other people are like, this is God's judgment. You know what? God's so economical, it could be all of it. He's so, he, he can make it all. Paul said he had, because of the revelation he had, he was given a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He said, I pled with God three times that it would be taken away from me. And, he, and God spoke to me and said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. He said, therefore, I'm gonna boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest on me. We need to get honest with our weakness. Our weakness is that we are, every day we live, we're dying. Whether you know that or not. It's just when someone gets COVID-19 and they can barely breathe and they're sitting in a hospital, they're just much more aware of that than you and I are. But the reality of it is, we all know, we, uh, we, Lydia and I listened to an interview uh, with Gordon McDonald with, uh, with, uh, uh, on a Carrie Newoff podcast. That's just a leadership podcast. But as he was talking, he was, getting, he was really frank with, I, I could be gone tomorrow. Because he's like, what, 85 or something? He's like, I could be gone tomorrow. He was very, see, he was more aware. We just need to start there. Start, confront the ultimate. And you need to understand this. And, and, and I want to leave you with this. You know, the just live by faith and die by it too. You know, Jesus had a calling. He came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for our sins. And this week is the, we're moving into the Easter week right now. And on Palm Sunday, uh, we, we recognize that uh, is when Jesus left all that awesome ministry and he was working his way towards the cross, towards dying for us. And when Jesus went into a garden, listen, when I say God doesn't want you to, we, we need to be willing, we need to sign up to die so that we can live. Jesus said in Luke chapter nine, verse 20 through 26, they were asking, hey, he was asking the question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you're the Messiah, you're sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was yet. He said, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. Come on, how, how would many of us do that knowing we're going to suffer terrible things because of the will of God? Now, the will of God was to save people. The terrible things were just incidental to getting there. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. He's talking about himself. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you, listen to this, and I wanna talk about genuine faith. Pay attention to this in the light of genuine faith. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed. Let me just talk to you right there. Jesus' question is a good question for all of us. Because you're only ready to die if that's true, if that's not true in your life. In other words, if you gain the world and lose your soul, you're not ready. But if you're willing to give up your life for his sake, you'll find it. I used to wonder about this. Like, I, I mean, I believe, I believe God's a God of love. Vern said so well last week, if your picture of God is an angry God, it's going to be really hard for you to have joy in your life. Anita didn't believe in an angry God. She believed God was her daddy. And, and she walked, Lydia's mom, that's Anita again, for those who might have got, just tuned in. I shared a story about Lydia's mother. She, she, uh, she believed that God was, was a good God. And the reason Jesus had to die, the reason any bad thing happens for us 
It's simply because God at some point will cause all things to work together for our good. And if it wouldn't, he wouldn't allow it to happen. But he, she really believed that. Now, listen, there are a lot of hard and ugly, challenging things that are happening in the world right now. And they're gonna, God's gonna cause all of that to work to the good of those, listen to this, who love him. Do you love him? Because he loves you. And you need to deal, you're gonna have to deal with it. And I, I began to wrestle with this. I'd be like, Lord, why, why would you call us? I mean, that's such a strange statement. It's like you were trying to offend people. If you wanna be my disciple, you wanna be my follower, you've gotta be willing to die like I'm gonna die. If you don't lose your life, if you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And I kept wondering, why is that? Here's, here's why I believe it is. I believe Jesus calls us to die so that we can really live. And some of you are not really living because you are afraid of some kind of loss. The loss of a loved one, the loss of your health, the loss of your money, the loss of a relationship, and ultimately the loss of your life. And then what happens is fear becomes a bully that controls you. And it keeps you from doing the things that God's made you to do. Jesus, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, I'm afraid. He didn't say it that way. He just said, Father, what he was afraid of. He said, if this, he knew all along he was going to be crucified. But if, if, if it's possible in, the, in your will, if you could make this, we could rearrange the way this is all working out. If this, he calls it this cup, the cup of God's wrath. If this cup could pass from me, I would like it to pass from me. Can you pass that to somebody else? But then he said this, and this is where we need to be. This is what a person, this is what a dead man truly living, walking looks like. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If you're called to be that missionary, you're called to be that policeman, that fireman, that person, that Navy SEAL. If you're called to be a, a work in a rescue mission, or you're called to put yourself in, in, in places. Maybe you're just called to talk to your neighbor, but you're afraid. All of it falls under this one thing. I don't really wanna do this. I'm not comfortable doing this. I, f I felt led to preach to people that I didn't know, walk up to them and talk about Jesus. I didn't feel like it. Nevertheless, God, not my will but yours be done. I wanna tell you something, when you can press past the fear of all that death in your life, the loss in your life and manifest it towards others, Paul the apostle said it this way, death is working in us, but life in you. Every, when, when people see, I see your face with the same things, but you're not afraid. There was a plague in the uh, first century after the, the first century church, so the next century after the first century church. And Christians were signing up to go work in the most dangerous places, knowing that they would probably die. And many of them did, and they did it joyfully. And it blew the mind of the world around them. They couldn't believe it. And you know what? It led to, so, it led to a massive revival. Look, uh, we're already experiencing online revival. We've already seen upwards near, you know, 50, 70,000 people have come into the kingdom in the United States uh, or wherever they're coming from. I guess it could be all over. Um, but 70,000 people have said yes. That's a revival by any stretch of the imagination, in, any, in all ways. But when we begin to live unafraid, when you look at that grocery clerk or whoever you see there and through your mask, tell them, hey, I'm smiling under here. I want you to know Jesus loves you and he's got you. And you can do that kind of stuff. It's gonna impact their life. It's gonna blow their mind. And I've not, I'm not afraid through this COVID-19, people have wondered, are you generally, are you just saying you're not afraid or are you really not afraid? Folks, I'm not afraid, but I'm gonna tell you why. I'm not afraid through COVID-19 because I signed up to die when I was a young man at Bible college. 
I signed up, I'd hear the stories of the missionaries. And I, like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter six, I would say, here am I, God, send me. Let me be one of those you would use. And I, whether I live or I die, I don't care, I am yours. When I was in Texas growing up, there was a, gr- a girl who was a grocery clerk. I don't know how old she was. I'm just gonna say around 18, 20. Just, she was a young adult. There was an armed burglar came into that place, put a gun in her face and said, give me all, give me all their money in the cash register. She said, I can't do that. He said, I will kill you if you don't give me the money. And she said, sudden death, sudden glory, but this is my job and I've got to honor God in it. The guy ran out and was afraid. Of course, he got, he got caught and arrested and all that stuff. I am like, okay, I'm not saying you should do that in the way she did it, but there was something in her heart that had embraced that if she was called to die, then she was quite ready to do that. She believed in a sovereign God who like Jesus said, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from God knowing it. God's aware of all the details of your life. And if you know you're seeking to walk with him, you can trust him to keep you and to only take you when it's time or allow you to go when it's time, however you see that working. And I honestly think Jesus told us, said that simply because he wanted us uh, to actually enjoy our life through the vehicle of not loving it too much. And you can truly enjoy people when you're willing to lose them. You can truly enjoy money when you're willing to lose it. You can truly enjoy life when you're willing to lose it. And it's gonna be hard to do that unless you trust the one who's called you to die. When Jesus said, Father, I'm willing to do this, he could trust the Father because he had a relationship with the Father. Some of you, you need to get in that relationship today. And I know there's many of you watching online. I know this is searching you out. The Holy Spirit told me he was gonna do that. And you're feeling that pressure. And there may be people around you, and I don't care. Your, Your soul is too important for you to blow off. Yeah, you're that person in the room that's looking around nervously right now. You're that person in the, in the room who's gonna walk out and go to the bathroom right now because you don't wanna hear what I have to say. Stop. Sit down and listen. I love this statement in Psalm 9, verse 9 through 10. And this is for you today, for all of you. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name, God, trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. He said, those who know your name. You know, I have many names to my family. I don't know if you know this, when I was a kid, I played uh, football, like, I don't know, about the same age, eighth grade, through, or not eighth grade, eight-year-old to yeah, roughly through right before junior high school, 12 years old. And I was, a, I was a pretty good running back at that thing. So I would take the ball and everybody would try to tackle me. And we played tackle without pads. We were stupid, but that's, that was our neighborhood football. And uh, they would go to tackle me and I, 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 my legs were strong and I was fast and they would try to grab my legs and I could pull out and they nicknamed me Slinky. They named me Slinky because they could, every time they tried to grab my leg, they couldn't, they couldn't. Then later, as I got older, I began to dance and do all that stuff in my 14s and whatever. And so my friends, because I like to dance, would call me Jimmy Jam because why they knew me as a dancer. Later, I met Lydia began to build a relationship with her and uh, she began to call me handsome. I trust you could see she wasn't wrong. Just kidding. Why, why does she say that? That's, that's because of relationship. But then I had children who ultimately call me daddy. And the reason they call me daddy is I was a part of the process of, of bringing them forth. And while God gave them life, I've been the one to raise them and to nurture them. And when they're afraid, just like it says here, 
The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. You'll see children when they're afraid, they'll grab the leg of their father or their mother and they'll pull near. And what they're saying is, mommy, daddy, protect me. What, what, it's what this verse says, that the Lord is a shelter for them, a refuge in that trouble. But those who know your name, God wants you to know him today in the names that he reveals. In one of his names, listen, one of his names is Savior. And maybe you've sinned and you've done stuff and you're convicted by the reality that you've not lived a good life, you've lived a self-centered life, and you see, you hear what I'm saying today, and the Holy Spirit's moving on your heart, and today He wants you to be able to get in on eternal life, and the way you do that is by knowing His name as Lord, as Savior. When you surrender and say, Jesus, I'm willing to follow you wholeheartedly, I believe you came from heaven to die on a, on a cross for my sins and that you rose again. And I believe that. God says, if you'll believe that and confess, you'll call out, Jesus, I make you Lord. You'll have eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven. And like Anita, Lydia's, uh, my mother-in-law, Lydia's mom, you'll be able to face that day, bringing hope to the world that you're quite ready to die. Because while you were living, you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and followed him in his ways. Look, wherever you're at right now, I'm gonna ask you all to do something in your living rooms. I'm gonna ask you to, 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 to close your eyes, shut out the world, shut out the people in the room for a moment and tune in on the inside and ask this question in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Where am I at with you? If you're afraid, why am I so afraid? Isn't heaven better? The worst case scenario isn't worse for us. And are you ready? And see, so as you're looking on the inside, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. And right there in that living room, right where you're at, I'm asking you, with your eyes, area head bowed and eyes closed, just like we do it here in church, would you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. You can be this tall, but just acknowledge, let, make yourself acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. I want you in my life. If you're online and you're by yourself, or even if you're online and you're in that room, we would love for you right there. You'll see in the chat icon, the raise your hand, man, raise your hand right there. Do it. It's, it's not that it's, people say that's funny, it's digital. No, it's an act of faith being engaged right there as you press that button little hand icon comes up. Raise your hand right now and receive Jesus. Don't resist the Holy Spirit because He loves you and you don't know what tomorrow holds, to be honest. Just like that 85-year-old man who knew it was the end, we all need to get in touch with our mortality so that we can find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Pray something like this with me, will you? Say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. I'm asking you to remove fear from my life and grant me the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and a sound mind. Make me fully aware of your love for me. Holy Spirit, fill me and enable me to live a life that's pleasing to you. And anoint me to bring the world hope around me. May my life impact lives for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.